say praise the Lord to something like that on purpose. As beautiful as the message, I mean, as beautiful as the method is and as beautiful as the singing is, it's the message itself that's so precious that we can be saved by grace. What a blessing. What a, I liked hearing her practice it this week, too. That was great, too. I'm going to continue the John series, so if you wouldn't mind standing once more, John chapter 6. I appreciate Pastor allowing me to preach every now and then on a Sunday morning, and this is just one of those days. If you've never heard our pastor preach before, I invite you back to tonight's service at 5 o'clock, or obviously next Sunday, he'll be back in the pulpit if the Lord wills that to uh, be back next week. Then John chapter 6, you'll continue this series, but I'm going to be just carrying on with this with the next few verses in verse 14 through 21, talking about Jesus walking on the water. There's a lot in here. There's so much uh, that's packed into it. We'll just focus on one little aspect of it that I believe the biblical author had in mind, transitioning from the feeding of the 5,000 into the great discourse on the bread of life in the following sections. But um, uh, this sermon will be full of scripture, so I, I... expect you to listen well as I try to present them well and some reading. So if you can just cue your mind into this, I think this will be a a big help to us. So John chapter 6, we'll start at verse number 14. Then those men, which uh, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. Boy, he just fed 5,000 men and besides women and children and took up 12 baskets full. This guy's got to be that prophet we've been waiting for. And when Jesus, verse 15, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. And then the other passages in Matthew and Mark, it says Jesus constrained his disciples and sent them away. Verse 16 says it, and when even was now come, his disciples went unto the sea and entered into a ship. And went over the sea toward Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they'd rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, maybe about two or three miles into the sea of their five-mile journey, they see Jesus walking on the sea and (laughs) drawing nigh unto the ship. And they were afraid, but he saith unto them, it is I. And, and, and just powerful theology in those three words alone. And then what comes of that is the next three words, be not afraid. They, then they willingly received him into the ship. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. Let's pray. Our Father... We thank you, dear God, for your presence in our lives. And I don't want to say that loosely or flippantly, but truly, God, we're thankful that we can have peace that it's promised to us in the midst of these storms. Help us, Christians, to believe that and to bolster our faith through the word this morning. I pray that unbelievers will will see that Christians do have a reliable faith and have a faith in a God who can move mountains, and a God who's the creator, and in Jesus Christ who is God. God, please help our understanding of that. If there's somebody in here who's been trusting their own self-determination or their own way to get to heaven or get through this storm, I pray that, I pray that they can turn to you and learn what it means to turn to you after hearing the word this morning. 
And so please allow the Word to do its wonderful work, its supernatural work that, um, that only it can do. And help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. I don't know if you like me, but I do not watch horror movies. I see a commercial for a horror movie and it freaks me out. You know, it pops up as an advertisement and I think, oh man, if it's dark outside when I'm watching that, then I suddenly start seeing things all around me. And the teens had an activity the other night where they had to go around the dark church and they blacked out all the windows, turned off all the lights and they hid things around the church and up near the dark buses. And then the youth staff put on scary masks and they hid in the corners beside the items that the teens were supposed to go around the dark church and find. And when they would get close, it was like, ah! And it was all of a sudden freaking the teenagers out. And we used to do that here in the church. And I passed on that mantle to Brother Christian, the new youth pastor. And I loaned him all my masks and said, use these to their fullest. And he embraced it, you know? And so he scared those teenagers. I don't know if we had any accidents. They probably wouldn't tell us. My wife gets startled at everything, you know, if there's something that pops up on the TV, she screams. And then my kids say, I, that's, the TV didn't scare me, Mommy, you scared me. <laughs> she screams at every little thing. I, I don't usually get startled like that, but even this way, coming here this morning, I was driving alone in my Suburban. It's just me and my Suburban. I'm coming up to a stop sign, and I'm hitting the brakes, and all of a sudden, something taps me on the shoulder twice. What in the world could this be? <laughs> I turned and looked, and it was the handle of a scooter that had fallen forward when I braked and tapped me on the shoulder. That was a relief. That was a relief. I guess sometimes a startle can obviously scare any of us, but all of us have deeper fears than that even. And we have fears that go deeper than that, and fears creep into every one of us no matter how macho you look on the outside. Or no matter how cool and calm and collected you appear, there's something inside of us that scares all of us. And there's some fear that you have for your family, if it's a wayward child, or if it's some future disaster that you see coming, or if it's just something that's unclear. And you wonder, what in the world is going to happen in my future? What's going to happen with my kids? What's going to happen with my spouse? What's going to happen with my health? I, I'm, I'm waiting on this test result. I'm waiting on this autopsy. I'm waiting on, this, I'm waiting on this, this, this doctor's appointment, and it's causing me a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And, and I'm just all torn up inside about that. Young people might seem like they have their, their lives in front of them, but many of them are gripped by fear of the future and fear of what's going to happen to them and fear of what might be for them. And they've seen so many adults mess up, and they've seen their parents mess up, and they've seen... They've seen these things that cause fear, like, am I going to turn out like my dad, like my mom? Am I going to be like my uncle? Am I going to be like, I don't want that, and so I don't even know if I want to try. And there's fear wrapped up in that. We've been going six weeks through the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace course on Sunday mornings for a Sunday school class. And Dave Ramsey says that finances are this greatest source of fear for so many people. The number two cause of divorce in families is money problems and money fights because of the fear that's associated with wondering if you're going to have enough and wondering if you're going to make it to the next month and hoping nothing bad is going to happen this month so you have enough money because your bank account says $20. And that causes a whole lot of fear. Living paycheck to paycheck is scary and you're looking at retirement and you're wondering, boy, this nest egg is kind of getting scrambled away right now. 
and I can't handle this. I'm not really sure what this is going to do. And there's so much stress and there's so much pain and there's so much fear about that. And I don't know what's going to happen. And we all have fear because of those things that are unknown, those things that not necessarily we can see coming, but the things that we can't see coming. And Jesus feeds the 5,000 here in the text before us. We heard about that last week. And they said, and, and we read the verse, they said, let's make him a king. And the whole crowd is going on. And in the other text, he sends his disciples away, constrains them to leave lest there's his zealous followers get caught up in the crowd and carry, along, carry away Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, you should be king. You've just performed this miracle. It's not been long that he's been into his ministry. This is early where, he's, where they're just starting to realize his power. And they're just starting to realize maybe this is that prophet we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been waiting for. Let's make him our king. And they start to carry him along, and he sends his disciples away. Don't you get caught up in this. Go to the other side, and I'll catch up with you later. And he goes up to a mountain alone to pray, verse 15 says. And after a long day of ministry and a long day of teaching and a long day of miracles, of feeding of the 5,000, he's, he's worn out. He gets away for a while. The disciples head over onto the water. And then it's like John, the author, we have to kind of think of this like a, a narrative where John is telling a story. It's almost like it becomes, takes this ominous tone where he starts using these ideas and these concepts that are just kind of scary. Verse number 16, when the even or the evening was now come and the dark is automatically scary. It's, it, 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 it's dark. And uh, verse 17 says that, and it was now dark. And, and the darkness itself is scary. Some of you are scared to the dark still. You plug in your little nightlight, you know. I'm reading a book about the, the Americans charging uh, the island of Iwo Jima and the, the crew that took, took the hill the first time. The statue and the monument is dedicated to the, to the uh, uh, squad that took it the second time. But the first ones that went in there and took up and raised the smaller flag up on the top of that mountain... Uh, the, uh, uh, the fear that crept into these new recruits, these ones who were just over there seeing action for the first time. So as we're, trying to, we're trying to dig in, and all we can think in that first day is that we're so scared and I can't wait for night to come so that all the darkness, I mean, the darkness just covers all our fears. And he said when darkness hit, it just amplified our fears like crazy. And it made us that much more scared because we couldn't see the enemy and the Imperial Japanese had this legendary fighting force, this legendary courage that, that, that word spread, gossip spread around the troops that, that the Japanese would crawl on hands and knees and feel around for a warm body before they would kill you because they didn't want to waste a grenade on a corpse. And they were legendary and this caused fear and this caused mental battles that were taking place in our American soldiers because of the fear that's associated there. And the darkness just amplified it. And made everything that much scarier. And verse number 16 says that. It's evening now. And verse 17, and it was dark. And verse 17, they entered into a ship and went over the sea on Capernaum. And it was dark. And on top of that, Jesus isn't with them. And on top of that, verse 18, and the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew that day. There's some people that say, well, they were professionals. They weren't scared. They obviously knew how to handle this. But wait a minute. Any storm is scary. 
And anytime you're in this little boat and you're, in, you're being rocked by this ship, then yes, you might be able to handle it. But there are other examples in Scripture where the men were scared because of the storms, even though they were professionals. The other passages talk about Peter walking on the water. When he got scared, it's because he saw the waves boisterous around him. They are scared of the storm. And, and yes, being professionals, but that doesn't take the fear out of it. And they weather this storm for three miles rowing across this, three of the five miles. And they're forcing their way through this storm. Verse 19. And they'd rowed about five and 20, 25 or 30 furlongs. They see Jesus walking on the sea. But wait a minute, the other passages tell us they didn't know it was Jesus. But he's drawing nigh unto the ship, and the end of verse number 19, and they were afraid. They were afraid. And there's the key to this. I mean, this this ominous tone, everything is about fear and darkness and rowing and storms, and it's dark, and Jesus isn't here, and we're pushing through this. A, a, A moonlight boat ride sounds like this wonderful romantic thing, unless you put a storm in the middle of that. A little cartoon Rapunzel, you know, they have the little lanterns floating and the song is singing and they're in this wonderful boat and they're floating across together. And, and it's this wonderful little scene here with a moonlight boat ride. We think that seems so peaceful. I do want peace and I want that peaceful atmosphere and I want this. I, I, I just want a little peace and quiet in my life. This could be such a wonderful, serene picture in a beautiful story. Some of you moms, that's your favorite saying. I just want a little peace and quiet in my life. This is what we want. You go into the bathroom and lock the door because it's the only door in your house with a lock. And the kids are on the outside banging. And he's, I don't care. I don't care. You can burn the house down. I have peace and quiet. Sitting on the floor eating my bowl of ice cream. <laughs> you know, this is my time. Leave me alone. We think we all want peace. We don't want peace in the middle of the storm. We want political peace. We want world peace. We want peace across the land. We, it, it, it's almost like, man, there are storms, sure, but let's get through this. And everything in our lives are about relieving the storms and alleviating the, the pressure. And we want peace. And it's like the most popular things these days are these Eastern mysticism and, these, and this idea of health and, and calming apps. And focus on your breathing. And let's practice meditation. And I guess while I'm at it, let's go there. I want to find my peace in these Eastern Eastern mysticism rituals as if that's where our source of peace comes from. And and the religions that, that, that have the greatest concentration of that, I was just talking to a missionary that did our summer camp. Going to Sri Lanka, the center of, of what seems to be the Buddhist, uh, the, the Buddhist faith, this, this teaching of peace. It seems like if you go to the center, it should be the most peaceful place on earth, right? If they're, if they're constantly promoting Zen Buddhism and constantly promoting tranquility, then the greatest concentration of them should be the most peaceful places on earth if the religion worked. And you talk to any missionary and you've come from those locations and you've seen, you've seen the turmoil that comes from living under this cloud of fear of what your ancestors are going to think and what the spirits are going to think and lighting the candles every single day and offering the incense outside of your house every single morning to ward off the spirits because there's this presence of fear and there is no peace. And the fear is what permeates those cultures and the fear is what is... is the constant and not the peace. 
I'm just talking about first-hand accounts here, and you may have experienced it yourself. First-hand accounts of missionaries who go there and minister and try to offer the true peace that they're actually seeking for and yet never seem to find. This peace that's there, that is in the presence of fear, this source of peace, can't be Zen Buddhism. It can't be yoga. I'm going to take these peaceful poses, and these are where I'm going to find my centeredness. And these are going to be the things that, that, that if I put my body in a certain way, then it's going to allow this peace to flow into me. I don't, I'm not huge on yoga. I don't think if you looked into the source of it, the roots of it, you'd find anything godly. I mean, you can do other kinds of stretches. Just don't do yoga. I mean, this is one of those things that is seeping into our culture through silly little things like this. And I think, man, if, if I, I'm not talking about... I'm, I'm not saying like that's a bad thing itself. What I'm saying is, what are you trusting in? And where is your root of peace? Where is your source of peace? Where do you find your peace? Where do you go when things are not peaceful? You know what? My life is in really stress. I, I just, I got to, I, I there's got to be an oil for this. I mean, this will be peaceful. There's got to be something that I, oh man, if I could just smell some lavender, I will be at peace then. Then I'll be Okay. My dad was into essential oils before it was trendy, you know. He was always into, you know, my, my thing is we've got to take some fish oil pills now. That'll heal all my, my essential oil is iodine for that cut, kid, you know. Let's put some, let's put some methylate on there. That was liquid fire, you know, and he would put it into our, that was essential oils for our cuts, and that's how we, that's how we did it. Sometimes you go on these different kicks, you know, tea tree oil. I've got to rub my joints down with these tea tree oil or apple cider vinegar. He drinks the stuff straight sometimes. It's crazy. He was into essential oils before it was popular. I'm saying those are things are fine, but what I'm saying is where's, where's your heart of trust is the question. Where's the heart of trust? Where's, where's, where are you seeking peace? My hope is in Christ or my hope is in oils? My hope is in the Lord or my hope is in some medical treatment? There is an answer. We have to believe as Christians, there's an answer greater than yoga. There's an answer greater than a diet. There's an answer greater than oils. Again, I'm not saying those things themselves are evil, but anything outside of a complete trust in God, that is when it starts bounding into sin. There's powerful theology in the next few words. Powerful enough to overcome every fear that we said. All of them combined don't even come close to the next three words that we read. They were The fears I mentioned, if we're talking about family or health or what's deeply rooted inside of you, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I hope that doesn't happen to my kids. I hope this never happens again. Whatever those fears are inside of you pale in comparison to the next three words. Verse 20, it is I. I'm not trying to be overly emotional about this. I'm not trying to manipulate anything. You say, what's the significance of those three words? I, I've got just a pile of scriptures here that shows us the significance of these next three words. John goes text by text through the book of John, and over and over those three words are, are the thing that he keeps coming back to, showing that Jesus Christ is God. He first mentioned it, we heard it in John chapter 4, when Jesus was addressing the woman at the well, he hinted at it. She said, I know that Messiah cometh, 
which is called Christ, when he has come, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, oh, I that speak unto thee am he. I am he. I am the one. In our text here, John chapter uh, 6, verse 35, Jesus saith unto him. Here's another one of those statements that Jesus says. I am the bread of life. I'm the source of your food that you're searching for. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Later on in John chapter 8, he says, I am the one that bear witness of myself. I am. Jesus says that of himself. And John 8, 23, he saith unto them, Ye are from beneath, I'm from above. Ye are of this world, I am not of this world. The significance of those words, it is I, goes so deep as to say it over and over through the book. I am everything you need me to be. I am the good shepherd, John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 7. I am the door of the sheep, John chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door by me if any man shall enter in. He shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I need God to be something for me. He says, I am that for you. I'm everything for you. There's nothing that I am not for you. I am everything for you. John 11, Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We're going through life spiritually dead, and Jesus says, I am the life. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 14, 6, I am, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Those are powerful statements from Jesus Christ. On the road to Emmaus, after he rose from the dead, he walked with the two men who knew him not. And he says he expounded the Old Testament scriptures with them and revealed himself to them little by little, just taking them through the Old Testament. And the Jewish reader would have understood the Old Testament, would have known what was taking place when Jesus was making bold statements like this. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am these things. He would be saying blasphemous things according to Isaiah. Those are the words for God himself, Isaiah 41. I, the Lord, the first and the last, I am he. God says only those types of things. Isaiah 43, 10, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, neither shall there be after me. Just take a Mormon friend to those, to those verses in Isaiah chapter 43 who believe that after this life they'll go on to become a God and that our God, the Heavenly Father, that we serve what they call Heavenly Father is just another one of a great succession of gods when he said in his word, I am God before me there never was and after me there, there shall be no other. And they say, well, it's just your interpretation. You just say, I'm just reading it. These are the words of God. I am. I will not share my deity with any other deity out there. I am. Isaiah 43, yea, before the day was, I am he. There's none that can deliver out of my hand. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. I am he, he says, even, and, and even to your old age I am he, and even to the whore hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and deliver you. That's the promise of our Father. 
Those are the words that only God is allowed to use. Hearken unto me, O Jacob and Israel, my called. I am he. I am the first. I am also the last. Deuteronomy says it. This isn't just Isaiah the whole time, but Moses said in Deuteronomy, see now that I, even I am he, and there's no God with me. I will never share my deity with any other. And it all starts back with Moses facing the burning bush, wondering if God will be with him, wondering if his sufficiency will be in himself. Well, God, I stammer, and I'm not sure if I can do this, and I'm not sure if I'm the one to lead these children out of Israel. What was God's answer to Moses at the burning bush? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. I am everything you need me to be. And, and, and he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, when you're faced with a storm that's bigger than you, he says, face them with this. I am hath sent me unto you. The one who is everything that needs to be, God's like on my side. And I am is the name of God. Isaiah 43, they would have known. Uh, I mean, Isaiah 47, they would have known if anyone would have, would have held that name, it would have been blasphemy. He gave this warning. Therefore, hear now this. Thou that are given to pleasures, thou that dwellest carelessly, thou sayest in thine heart, I am. And none else beside me. He says, I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the... He's saying, beware to have that attitude, that self-sufficient attitude in yourself, that you are the one that is the source, the, the one who can take care of all your problems. Isaiah warned it. Zephaniah warned it. This is the rejoicing city that dwelt carelessly, that said in her heart, I am, and there's none else beside me. How has she become a desolation? God says it's a grave warning to think that this is of myself, that my life is just determined by myself. Listen, this is a, a matter of life and death that we're talking about here. Truly, a matter of life and death. I want you to see this a few chapters up in John chapter 8. Look up at John chapter 8, verse 24. John 8, verse 24, I, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. So what's the big deal? I don't really care. I'm not sure if I believe that. Jesus says the big deal is that if you do not believe that I am he, you shall be dead in your sins. You will face your sins by yourself one day. And nobody wants to face that. Verse 28 of that same chapter, John 8, 28. He drives it home even more than Jesus said unto them, When ye lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things unto you. And here it is, verse, uh, skip down to verse 58. John 8, 58. Jesus, in arguing with the religious people who thought they could do things by themselves, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. That's a statement of him uh, uh, saying, I am the very one of the Old Testament. I am the same God. I am the creator. I am what you're claiming me not to be, and they knew that's what he was claiming because verse 59, they took up stones to cast at him. 
This is worthy of blasphemy. This man has claimed to be God. And it's worthy of blasphemy. Listen, that is the essential message of Christianity. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claims to be? And if you don't, John 13 says, Now I tell you before it come that when it shall come to pass, you may believe that I am he. John says this whole book I've written to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, to show that he is God. His wording in John chapter 6, where we were, his wording there is not accidental. It's a phrase that we see over and over through the book. It is I, or in other words, I am. The preachers of the first century said, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This salvation, this matter of life and death is wrapped up in Jesus Christ himself. If there's anything else in your life that you're trusting, the source of your, of your ideal, peaceful mentality, whatever your idea is about God or about coming to him, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And the message of Christianity is completely, completely exclusive to the one I am. It's completely exclusive to the one who claims to be God. And the idea is that I must, I must know him and he's trying to reveal himself to us. And he wants to be the I am to you. He wants to know you and love you and draw nigh to you and you draw nigh to him. If you're missing him, I want to introduce you to my friend today. I want to introduce you to him in a personal and in an intimate way. What I'm talking about is the great I am, the great creator of the world, has come to you and saying, I want to be what you need me to be at all times in your life. And for the Christians in here, what Jesus is to you exactly is that. Because sometimes we start in faith and then we allow our faith to slip into fear. And these moments of fear, just like his disciples had these moments of fear, what, what, what John, I believe, was writing this text for is to just bolster the faith of his people. It was this personal miracle that he gave just to his disciples. And you say, I want peace. I want peace in the middle of this storm of my life, whatever this is. Here's, here's the essential message of the day. The peace of God in the presence of the storm can only come through Christ. The peace of God in the presence of the storm can only come through Christ. This is a message of hope for the hopeless. This is a message of love for the fearful. This is an answer to the skeptic who's wondering if there is God out there, who's wondering if there is peace out there. Christ is peace, and peace is Christ. And it goes both ways, the peace of God. Philippians says, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds. The last two words are what? Through Christ. Through Christ. The peace that God's promises is only available through Christ. And by believing that fully and launching into that and trusting him completely, what we're talking about is living a life of faith, just like the Old Testament prophets said, just like pastors preaching about tonight in Hebrews chapter 11, this hall of faith, these people who lived believing, never having seen Jesus Christ, many of them never having seen Jesus Christ face to face, but I believe that he was real. And what God told the men in the Old Testament, Gideon, I am with you. When Nebuchadnezzar even looks down into the furnace, says, didn't we, didn't we throw down three men? 
But I see four walking around, and the fourth is like the Son of God. It's like this picture of Jesus Christ saying, I am with you. And in John chapter 20, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, he says, here, feel my, feel my palms and feel my side. Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. I come to provide peace. Uh, uh, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Yes, we want a God who's a deliverer and a conqueror and a king and all these things that they were thinking. Jesus, I mean, Messiah, this prophet would be our, our feeder. And he'd be like a piñata that we could hit and get candy out of when we need him. Uh, but, but then when he fulfills our needs, then we'll go to our house and we'll be okay after that. Jesus says, yes, I am all of those things. I am a wonderful provider. I am a giver of you. But I'm so much more than that. I am. Am. You're what? I'm anything you need and all that you need. I am all sufficient, so be not afraid. In the middle of this storm, be not afraid. In the middle of this trial, I'm not just a pinata. I'm not just a bunker that you can run and hide to. I'm not only that. I am that, yes. But I'm so much more than that. I am. It is I. And man, verse number 20, I mean, verse 21. Then they willingly received him into the ship. Whew. Jesus, it is you. And you're here, and your presence is wonderful, and it's great. Sometimes I'll drive up to my parents' house at dark, and our suburban is fairly familiar, but maybe not to the dog so much, and they'll bark and bark or see me walking through the darkness, and they'll bark and bark. And then maybe catch a little whiff of me and see me and get a little better look at me. And Indy, their German shepherd, is like, oh, so apologetic. And the ears go back and the tail wags and comes up next to me and rubs against my leg. Oh, I'm so sorry for barking at you. I, I'm so glad it's just you and not a robber that's coming to attack our house. I'm so happy that it's you. And it's almost like when, you're, when your heckles are up about something and then it's like that rush of relief that you get that it's... It's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. The good thing becomes so much better and so much sweeter and so much like, whew, this is, it's Jesus. He's here with us and he's here and boy, I was terrified. But now, now Jesus is here and he's good to us and he loves us and he wants to be with us and he's here to take care of this storm. And he's the one, his presence in my life is really all that I needed the whole time. And, and they had no promise that the storm would be removed. We don't even know exactly why the storm was there. The source of it was not disclosed. But if you're in the middle of some storm or in the middle of some kind of fear, the question needs to switch from, at one point it is, man, God, why? Why are you putting me through this storm? Why are you sending me into this storm? How come you're doing this to me? I don't know if that's the right question all the time. I think in this case, maybe his question was not why, but the question should be, who are you, God? And Jesus is going to answer to you every single time, it is I. Yeah, I am. I am the God with me in this storm. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, and maybe there is a storm in your life. This is God saying, look, I may not remove the storm for you. That's not the question about why you're in the middle of this storm. Maybe it's your chance to wake up and see me. 
Maybe it's your chance to get your eyes off the storm and onto me. Maybe it's this moment of trust that I've been trying to bring you to. Put your oars down. Put your self-sufficiency down. Come to Christ. I'm the only one who can satisfy. I'm the only one who can bring you through to this to the other side. It is I. Be not afraid. My kids sometimes get the strangest nightmares. Whatever it is, I don't really know. But sometimes there'll be this jarring scream in the middle of the night. And you go and sit up and you're rubbing the sleep out of your eyes and you rush into the room next door. Maybe they're standing there in kind of a sleepy stupor crying in the middle of the room for no good reason, rationally speaking. There's nothing rational that happens at 3 a.m. Say, I had a bad dream of a monster. It was scary. And the best thing to do is not rationalize with them at that moment. It's just to wrap them up in your arms. It's okay. I'm here with you. There's no reason to be scared. It's fine. I'm here. I'm with you. And at that moment, it's not that they have to be rationalized out of this thing. It's to know that daddy's with them. And for you to know that God is with you in the presence of that storm is something precious. Let's pray. Father, you're a comforter and you're a help and you guide us through storms. You are a provider for us, but you're so much more than any of those one character traits that we need you at some moment. God, I need you every hour. I need thee. Oh, I need thee, dear God. I need thee in times of good times and in times of bad times. Thank you for being the I am for us. Thank you for being all that we need. Thank you for being all sufficient to help us and to guide us and to be with us. Not as a genie, not as some kind of, some kind of pinata, some kind of thing that just satisfies our current needs, but that satisfies every one of our deepest needs, including our fears. God, comfort us through your word this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.